every week when you're watching or listening to this time when we're worshiping together. My mom and dad also are watching and listening, and it's one of the great things about uh, how we're able to gather uh, these days, especially for those that are gathering online, is that some people that don't live in Watkinsville are able to watch. And today, January 10th, is my mom's birthday, and I just want to take a special opportunity as she watches today to uh, wish uh, you, Mom, a very happy birthday. And I want to uh, tell you I love you and I'm praying for you and look forward to seeing you face to face. Today also, uh, I want to renew a call to you. To those of you that have been a part of our church family, you've heard this before over the last year. But it's been a few months since we've talked about it. And that is, I want to ask you to come together as a church and pray together at a particular time during the day. James 5.16 says for us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. And when we do that, we'll be healed. And God's word makes a promise, says to us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and as, I, as we've walked through this past week and as we're walking through these days, uh, the hope that I have is in the Lord healing our land, uh, meeting the needs that we have in our life, and we so desperately need Him. We need revival among believers. We need awakening in our land and I don't know of anywhere else to turn other than asking God for his help. And so I want to ask you that if it's 5.16 a.m. or 5.16 p.m., that you might set that as a marker based on James 5.16 and take some time to pray together. And you can be creative with that, use that however you want to, but let us just be encouraged in our own hearts to know that hundreds of people are praying that kind of prayer, uh, a prayer of the Lord searching our heart to see where our sin is. Maybe there's somebody we need to confess that sin to and make that right. Maybe we need to just take it to the Lord. And we need to ask the Lord to help someone else that he brings to our heart and mind at those particular times of prayer. But let's be faithful to call out to God in prayer together. And let's begin that anew today. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray together. Father, I want to bow before you right now and ask you for your help. I want to ask you, Lord, to heal our land, to um, heal relationships, to show up in power. Lord, to do what only you can do. And I don't even know how to describe it, Lord just want to ask you for you to do your work and even right now Lord as we begin to study your word together we're asking you to use your word to convict us to change us to encourage us to make us more like Christ to give us hope Lord to see you for who you are and Lord we we just we commit our time together 
today to you. We ask you, Lord, to be so, so powerful in our lives and in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to open your Bibles today to the Old Testament book of Malachi. The Old Testament book of Malachi. And as you're finding your place there, I wish I could come to each one of you. Maybe you're in your den or you're uh, in your car or you're in uh, your kitchen. Uh, maybe you're seated somewhere right now. I wish there was a way I could be more personal and simply just ask you a question. How are you doing? How are you today? Some of you would say, Pastor, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. Others of you would say, some places I'm doing great and some places I'm not doing so great. And today you may not feel that great about some different areas of your life. You might say, I don't feel so great about my health. Pastor, I don't feel so great about my job. Pastor, right now I don't feel so great about my relationships. Lord, I don't feel so great right now. You might say, Pastor, I don't feel so great right now about our nation. Pastor, I don't feel so great right now about where I am just in this season of life. Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't feel that great about where I am spiritually. Well, today, if that might be the story that you would say, I, I, I want to tell you what I'm praying. What I'm praying is, is that when this time is over, that the Spirit of God would work in such a way, and I, and I, I really believe that He wants to. That, that he would work in such a way that we would walk away in light of how we might feel in those areas knowing this. It would be that God is great. That God is great. And that we would feel that and that we would know that. And now I am specifically focused on the word great. Uh, the word great means beyond all norms. This word great, uh, we use it so many ways and I, I wish we could redeem that word somehow. I, I wish we could make it new again. I wish it could get a makeover or have a fixer upper to it. It's, it's definitely overused. Uh, it, if you use that word in your English paper this week, the teacher or professor might take off some points and just say that word is not allowed don't use great in a sentence but it is a desirable word when we're talking about God it is a word that is desirable by God it is a word that describes his nature. It is a word that describes his attributes. It is a word that describes his characteristics. It, it is a word that God wants us to believe and know and reflect about him. Today we begin this new series that we're calling Namesake. And that came together over the last few weeks of last year as I was reading through the book of Malachi and praying in that book of Malachi and what I began to see was is that God's people had begun to kind of ignore the great name of God 
and the way they were living and the way they were reacting and the way they were worshiping and the choices they were making was indicating that they did not have a great view of God. They did not see God as being beyond all norms. Well, for God's namesake, I'm calling us here to this study of Malachi that that might be in your heart and in our day and in our church not the case but what would be true of you and me and what would be true of all of us would be that for God's name's sake we would see him as great and we would reflect him to others as great there's nothing more important in your life than your view of God. Think about it today. What is your view of God? Do you see His greatness? Do you see Him as great? A.W. Tozer is a writer whose words have meant so much to my heart over the last 12 months and continues to on into this year. Um, one of his most well-known writings is the book, The Knowledge of, uh, the, the knowledge of God, the, the Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, listen to what he writes about our view of God. He says, what comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. For her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. I want to be very clear today in the time that we have together that God is great. That there is a God in heaven who can, who can be described as one of greatness. How do we see his greatness? Well, let's begin in the book of Malachi. And I want to read the first five verses. It says, The oracle of the word of the Lord of Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says... and it's just another way of referring to Esau and his descendants. 
If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Three ways we see God's greatness. Number one, we see God's greatness in his burden for his people. We see God's greatness in his burden for his people. Three words I'd call to your attention in verse 1 of Malachi 1. It's the word oracle and the word Israel and the word Malachi. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word oracle in this uh, phrase here and where it's just the oracle of the word of the Lord is a, is a word that means burden. And the, and the phrase when he says the burden of the word of the Lord has in it this, these Hebrew words that have a, a sense of something heavy on God's heart that he's communicating to someone else to carry and get it out. It is a, it is a sense of, it's, it's, it's a message. Uh, it's a word. And it's a word that God wants delivered. It's a word that God wants spoken. And when we begin to talk about the greatness of God, we see the greatness of God in his burden for his people. This word oracle of the word has with it a sense of urgency. It's something that must be communicated. It's something that must be carried. Maybe you've experienced uh, that in your heart before. Maybe in the middle of the night, maybe standing in the shower, maybe driving down the road, maybe sitting in your time alone with the Lord where you get some sense of a burden. Maybe not exactly like you would have here in scripture, but an impression of God saying something. You're reading the word. God burdens your heart there and you know it's in there and it's something that you've got to respond to. God had a burden for his people. You say his people. Yes, that's the next word, Israel. An oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel. God's message, his word, his urgency was directed at a particular audience. And the audience, the Old Testament here, was Israel. Israel was the name that was given to Jacob. And from Jacob, who would be called Israel, come the descendants that we refer to as the Israelites. When you study through the Old Testament, we learn in the Old Testament is that the, this people group, the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, they, they were God's covenant people. They were God's chosen people. God chose the Israelites, the people of Israel, the descendants of Jacob and Israel to make, to know and to make known his covenant love. In Exodus chapter 19, in Exodus chapter 24, 
you have recorded God making a covenant with his people that the children of Israel would be his people and through them he would bless and he would give them his law and then he would write it upon their heart what his ways were. That's the audience. In the New Testament, Hebrews 8 speaks about that old covenant that God made and it shows how through Jesus Christ he would make a new covenant with his people. But in this particular passage, his specific audience for this oracle, this word, were his people, the Israelites. Here's a third word. Malachi. This word Malachi is a word that we might just know as the title of a book in the Bible. But the word Malachi has a very specific meaning. And the word Malachi means specifically messenger. And it's fitting that his name would be the very thing that he would do. And Malachi would become the messenger of this burden that God had. This oracle that would be given to him for God's people. God gets his word to his people. God makes his burden known to his people through a messenger. And what's beginning here, it's as if God is saying in the book of Malachi, I'm, I'm so burdened for you. And why might God be so burdened for them? We have to grab some of the context of these days. Uh, Malachi, this happened in history. Uh, this, this prophecy was written down. It was delivered at a point in history. There's a timeline for when this is happening. And the timeline for when this was happening was about 400 years. Somewhere between 400 and 440 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Another way that it might help you understand the timeline of this prophecy would be to think about Nehemiah. It was about a year ago that we as a church started in a series through the book of Nehemiah we called Rebuild. And it was the story of this man named Nehemiah who heard about his people, people that had come back and they had been brought out of Babylon and they were setting up their country again and they were rebuilding the temple. But word came that the walls around the city had not been rebuilt and the people were living in disgrace and Nehemiah goes and he leads the people to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Well, during that time where the, the temple had been rebuilt, the people had been resettled, the walls had been rebuilt now by Nehemiah, and over time the people became contentious before God, they became casual before God, they became people who were compromising the ways of God. And Nehemiah, if you think back to that book, he comes back to the people of, of uh, J Jerusalem, the Israelites, and he rebukes them for ways that they are living. But at that same time, it appears that Malachi would have been a prophet that was preaching and delivering this message to them. So the context here describes a, a, a spiritual temperature of the people where they were contentious. Do you know that in this four chapters of Malachi that there are 26 questions asked? 
13 of those questions were asked by God and 13 of those questions were asked by God's people. And when God would speak or he would ask a question, the, the response back would almost be like, really? You mean that? Look back at verse 2. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? It's kind of soft in our translation, that phrase, but you say. But what the, the Hebrew word there it has a little bit more emphasis on say. It's but you say, nah, really? You love us. Prove it. I mean, that's the, that really is what's underlying that phrase. Oh, yeah, we'll prove it. There, there was this casualness, and we'll see this as we go through the weeks. They were compromising in their worship. They were compromising in their giving. They were compromising in their married relationships. This is why God was burdened. And we should not miss that context of why God might lead us to this book today, to think about in our own hearts are in our churches, are in our land, are we a contentious people? Do we have a question for everything? Do we have a prove it about everything? Are we casual in our worship? Are we compromising in our commitments? And maybe this is why God would have me as a pastor, me as a Christian, you as a church with me walking through this time. And in the midst of that, we see actually God's greatness in that he would be burdened for his people. No one has gone to the lengths that God has gone to to communicate a burden for someone. In the Old Testament, God sent a messenger. Malachi is just one of those. In the New Testament, God sent the Messiah. In the Old Testament, God sends a messenger with a revelation. In the New Testament, God sends the Messiah with salvation. I think of John 3.16. He says, when, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's a, this burdened heart of God for his people. We see his greatness, number two, in his love for his people. First, we see God's greatness in his burden for his people, but we also see God's greatness in his love for his people. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now this phrase from God through Malachi to his people would have fit into their historical knowledge. We might be in this room today and think, I don't know who Jacob is. I don't know who Esau is. It may be names that remind you of somebody you know in class more than they remind you of someone in the Bible. They may remind you of some band name more than they remind you of something in the Bible but the historical context here is that Jacob and Esau were brothers twin brothers and before they ever were birthed from their mother's womb God had chosen that Jacob 
would be his chosen one. And that Esau would go a different way. Uh, this phrase, a verse that I referred to just a moment ago, John 3, 16, for God so loved. What God is saying here is that to his people, to the Israelites, remember Jacob, his name would become Israel. From Jacob, who was called Israel, would be birthed the Israelites. They would be God's chosen people, his covenant-loved people. God is saying, here's how you know that I love you. To his people, you know that I love you because I chose you. That's how you know I love you. Life in so many different areas can look less than great when we lose sight of how much God loves us. Today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have been grafted in, as the New Testament says, into being God's people, you, you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can declare with faith, I am a child of God. What God is saying to us today, here's how you know I love you. I chose you. I chose you. God, you really love me. Yes, I chose you. And sometimes we can become apathetic in our worship of God because we lose sight of the fact that before the beginning of time, He chose us. He chose you. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is celebrating all that he has in Christ Jesus. He calls them spiritual uh, blessings. And listen to what he says. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose just layer upon layer upon layer for God's people to know hey God loves you and we see his greatness in his love for his people Vic Pastor Vic and I were talking about this passage this week and, he, and, and Vic used this illustration it's a simple one but it's so profound because it shows us how God loves us and how we can feel it. If you're uh, doing pickup basketball and, and uh, your, your, your brother's playing with you and you're there and the brother is picking teams. And you really, you don't have much ability to play. You're, you're, you don't have a lot going for you when it comes to basketball and really not that good, but you, you're there and your brother looks and he picks you and he says, you, I, I want you on my team. 
why did your brother pick you? Because he loves you and he has a reason for it. He has a purpose for it. And how are you going to live if you, if you, you, you see your brother pick you and be on your team? You're, you're going you're, I mean, you're to, how are you going to play? You're, you're going to play with all your heart. You're going to play with all your might. You're going to want to honor him because he's shown his choice. He's shown his care. When I look at this phrase here, it's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. We, we might say, well, love? You mean God hated? What does that mean? Well, it's certainly in our Western context of using love and hate creates a lot of uh, difficulty in understanding. One passage that comes to my mind in the New Testament is where Jesus says, unless one hates his father and mother or brother and sister, he, he, he cannot be my disciple. And we know when we look at that passage that we're not, we, we don't practice hate toward our parents or our brother and sister uh, in the way that we might use the word hate in some uh, description of hostility or anger or meanness. But we would know it as compared to how we love Jesus, it's going to almost appear like hate. Also, another way to understand this, this phrase of I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated is to think about the covenant love of God. And, the, and what is described here is that when, when God is, he has chosen, he, ha, he has chosen Jacob in a covenant relationship the way you describe that he has not chosen Esau is that it would be a relationship that is not there there's not an established relationship he's separated from God now again there's there's no reason for me to stand before you today and and think that I can explain what is a difficult passage to understand to a point to where we would walk away saying oh that solves it forever it's always been that's a difficult passage of Malachi but here's what I know when you trace through scripture every time that you see God choosing God electing God making a choice for who would be his people It's always meant to be encouragement to one who knows God. It's meant to communicate his love. And as much as I might look at this and still think, I, I don't understand maybe all of this or get all of this. And when I get to heaven, there's a question I want to ask about this. Here's what I know. I know that before the foundations of the world, my faith in Jesus Christ started with what God was doing. And he loves me. You say, well, what about me, pastor? Maybe he loves you, but, but does he love me? Let me ask you today, do you want to be saved? Do you want to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want to spend eternity in heaven? God, are you convicted today that you fall short of the glory of God? And I tell you what you need to do. You need to call out to him to be saved. 
you, you don't have to wrestle with the fact of whether or not God has chosen you. What you do is you listen to the gospel. You listen to the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And then you respond to him. And the Bible gives you this promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the greatness of God. It's beyond the norms. And we see God's greatness in his burden for his people. We see God's greatness in his love for his people. He chose you. And today as it speaks to the audience of his people to see finally that we see his greatness in his sovereignty over all people. His sovereignty over all people. See, God says here, he says, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this. These first five verses here of Malachi lay the foundation, lay the groundwork for the greatness of God to say in our relationship with God, it's established through his sovereignty. And out of that flows our worship. Out of that flows our passion. Out of that shows our enthusiasm for who God is. How he's worked in our life. And this attribute of God, his sovereignty, calls us to see his greatness. You know, five times in these five verses, God says, I will. I will. He's expressing his sovereignty. He, he created all things and he rules and reigns over all things. Five times he says, I will. And two times God says, you shall. So today when we come before him, worshiping him, we worship him in his greatness because of his burden for us, because of his love for us, because of his sovereignty over us and over all people. Edom, those who came from Esau's lineage, it says they would even try to rebuild, but God says they won't. It's a lesson to us that as we watch current events, as we watch and study the past, as we think about the future, that kings rise and fall, nations rise and fall, little things in our life, be it a class in college or be it a relationship here, that, that God in all these things, he's on his throne and he is sovereign. So what do I do with that? You, you worship him. You believe him. You know him. You serve him. You share him with others. And in loving him and knowing him and serving him, and you begin to see him more and more. And you delight in him. And then you just watch him work. You trust him. You rest in him. What does God want us to do in that scene of his burden and his love and his sovereignty? He says it in verse 5. Listen, here's what we do in light of that. Your own eyes 
shall see this. That you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. He says, here's what happens. You begin to see that in your world, in your life, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. God is great. John Donne was a poet and preacher from the 16th century. And he made this statement. He says, the, the scripture is God's voice and the church is his echo. You hear that? The scripture is God's voice and the church is his echo. I wrote these words this week and I close with this. The scripture is God's voice. The church is his echo. So today, what are we re-sounding? What is our echo? Do you see the greatness of God and his burden for his people? Do you see the greatness of God and his love for his people? Do you see the greatness of God in his sovereignty over all people? And what does the world and what does the world hear in our echo? Can they hear or can they see the echo of the greatness of God in your life, in my life, in our church's life? Can they hear or can they see the echo of the greatness of God in our comments, in our decisions? As we go from the church gathered to the church scattered and we resound the greatness of the God that is in our life, does the world see God's greatness in his burden for them, his greatness and his love for them? Can they hear and see his greatness in his sovereignty? Maybe today you have seen his greatness and the Spirit of God pulls on you to surrender your life to his love. In the Old Testament, God sent a messenger. And in the New Testament, God sent a Messiah. And today I stand before you with a message as a messenger would you trust the Messiah as your Lord and Savior would you call out on him to save you and if you have would you worship him in all his greatness with your whole heart Father today would you by your spirit teach us you bear a burden for us, that you love us, and that you are sovereign over us. And with our hearts, Lord, would you help us to resound your greatness in all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.